Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son who came into the world to save sinners, through whom we can lament our sins and the pains which we experience in this world. Help us to know that you are the God that hears our prayers, whether they be joyful or sorrowful. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. When he drew near the city and saw it, he wept over it. Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem because the people had rejected him. sinners set free was rejected by the people and soon would hang upon a cross, would soon take upon himself the sin and shame of the world. But the city of peace rejected their prince of peace. The holy city turned away from the holy man and for this Christ mourned. He lamented their sin, and he lamented their fate. Culturally, I have found, even or particularly within myself, that we are not good at lament. Men, especially, are told to suck up their feelings, to be strong. Told to be that if you want to be a good man, that is synonymous with bottling up all of your emotions and pressing them down deep inside. And we think if a woman is too emotional, we find this unattractive. We distance ourselves from her. If someone is hurt, our reactions seem to be one of two. Either we just back away, thinking, well, let's just let them have their sorrow in peace. Or we're like Job's friends. We sit with them on their ash heap for a bit, But then, when we get tired of that and think the time is enough, we start ridiculing them. We say, get over it. Why is it taking you so long? Or worse, we withdraw. After all, who really wants to be with someone who is so sad all the time? I remember fairly early on when I was a Christian, I started thinking that I didn't need emotions. That because if we know Christ, we should just dwell in this strange, ethereal orb of peace and joy. But soon, I learned life continues to happen. Hurt still happens. Friends still say things that are painful. Family members still get mad and yell at each other. There is still death. Tears will still come. The idea that we should not feel, that we should not cry, that we should be happy all the time, is not a biblical idea. Twice we see Christ weeping. First, it's for his friend Lazarus, who has died. And the second time is recounted today in today's Gospel lesson. Jesus weeps. And his lament is for two reasons. First, for the sin of the city. For the denial of 
him and their sin in that. Second, because he knows what will come. He knows of the coming destruction. Sin and destruction are not part of the natural order of things. In creation, man and woman, woman were meant to live in innocency, in perfect harmony with their God, to live without death. But sin came into the world when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, and in that sin welcomed death into the world. Sin and death Rebellion and destruction should be mourned. And we are called to mourn our sin, to lament it, to throw it upon the great mercy of our God. It is no mistake, then, that the offices of morning and evening prayer start with a confession to God, a prayer that we offer up to God for the sins that we have struggled with since the last time, we came before him. And my, do we struggle. The general confession and how each prayer book has approached sin are perhaps the most significant battleground in every prayer book re revision. Excuse me. For those who reject the changes found in the 79 prayer books, this is one of the biggest problems that we see in it. It is nuanced, of course, but what we feel has happened is sin has gone from being viewed as a deadly disease that has corrupted us completely to being viewed as a bad and hurtful thing. This shift totally changes the gospel of Jesus Christ. If sin is merely bad, if it is seen simply as something that isn't good and not the root of death, not the reason that we rebel against God, the reason that we are spiritually dead without Christ and will one day cease to breathe, the reason that we are liable for judgment, then Jesus' death is merely to make mediocre people better or okay people slightly more okay. But if we rightly view sin as death, see it as the deadly disease that is rotting us, if we view it, if we view that way, if we have sin in view as that, as that we are dead, then Christ isn't merely wiping away a few imperfections. He is bringing us to life. He is resurrecting us. Jesus makes us alive. Therefore, when we understand sin as grievous, as turning our backs on Jesus, as tarnishing the glory of God and leading us to death, as grieving our Heavenly Father, when this is our understanding, we see our need to run back to God. We cry out with David, who saw how awful his actions against Uriah and Bathsheba and his own countrymen, his soul, and most importantly, God, were. Be with him, cry out. Have mercy upon me, O God. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. David's sin leads to actual death. It divides his relationship with God. It leads to his spiritual malady, and it causes him to fail the very people he was caused, 
called to lead. I was thinking about this the other day when I was made aware of something I had done, and it grieved me. No one wishes to cause others pain, but we do, for we misstep, we forget, we say stupid things, and then that pain follows. I was talking to a dear friend about this later, and I noted how glad I was to have a robust theology of sin. For it would be hard to see my failure and sin flash before my eyes and have no avenue in which to take ownership for it. Instead, I can lament. I can run to Jesus and say, I have sinned. I have failed you. My actions have tarnished your glory. For I have hurt someone that you care for and I care for. Please have mercy upon me. And Jesus is there time and again to receive me back, to wipe away my tears. And I can then say to those that I have hurt, please forgive me. I was unkind. I was insensitive. I have sinned. A realistic view of our sin allows us to be open to recognizing our frailty and failures. It allows us to dive deeply into that mercy which Christ provides freely for us. It allows us to recognize our failures and to seek forgiveness. As we become more aware of our sin, we become quicker to repent. More and the more overt sins are less and less tempting, though they're still there. Lately, I think perhaps because of the death of J.I. Packer, or perhaps the prodding of the Holy Spirit, I've been thinking more about this idea of personal holiness. I was talking to the same friend about this the other day, and wondering and lamenting the fact that personal holiness seems to be almost a taboo subject within the church. And I think this is because when it was preached in the past, in the recent years, it, we reversed how we think about religion. How we think about rightly living with Christ. I think we think that if we check the right boxes, we feel as though we're good to go. We think, I go to church, I'm good. We think if I don't cuss or do anything bad, if I follow the rules, then Jesus must love me. But Jesus' love transforms us, and so the better question is, is your heart being transformed? Are you being drawn closer? and closer to Christ? Is your mind being renewed? Holiness is not about outward appearances. It isn't about stodgy rules that we must be follow. It's about our hearts changing. It's about new life. It's about viewing every moment as belonging to God and giving it to Him. And by the grace of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, it's about walking with God throughout the day, day in and day out. One of the most interesting things about J.C. Ryle's little book, Holiness, It's Nature's Hindrances, Difficulties, and Roots, aren't Victorian book names wonderful, are the subjects which he tackles. I read this book earlier this year, and this past weekend I found myself reading a little, a little biography about Ryle. And now I feel that I perhaps should read it again. Ryle calls Christian men and women to holy lives. But his first chapter is interestingly titled, 
It is simply sin. When I picked up this book this spring, I was surprised. I thought, come on, Bishop Ryle. I want to know how to be holy. I already know how to be sinful, and I'm pretty good at that. But Ryle is not mistaken, nor is he a fool. We need to learn to lament our sin. We need to learn to throw our sin as far away as we, up from us as we can if we want to take steps towards holiness. We need to recognize that without Christ, and his overwhelming love for us, we have a hope of being a holy people. Regular repentance from our sin, fleeing from our sin, lamenting sin, diving deep into the love of Christ is that first step of growing closer and closer to God in renewing our hearts and minds. We, with Jesus, lament our sins we weep over it and cast them upon him again and again, lest we die without him. And there he is, waiting for us, ready to bring us back into the fold, ready to forgive us, ready to renew our hearts and minds. Do not be ashamed to lament your sins, but cast them upon our Savior. For the second half of the sermon, I want to turn upon that second thing which Jesus lamented this morning. He lamented the destruction of Jerusalem. He lamented the coming of death. His description and prophecy of the coming destruction is graphic but also extraordinarily accurate. As he comes upon the city, he cries out, the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground and you and your children within you. They will not leave one stone upon another in you. Jesus describes the total annihilation of Jerusalem that would come in 70 A.D. Now before I dive too deeply into this idea of lament, I want to take a moment and talk about the dating of the Gospels. For those of you who have come to Christian education when we were able to hold them, you know that I take a very conservative stance on those dates. I think it is fair to say that they were written, well, the Gospels at least were written before 70 AD. And in fact, most, if not all, but one of the arguments against the, my position is that Christ's description of Jerusalem is too accurate. Therefore, it had to have been written after the fact. I believe we should reject this for two reasons. First, if we accept this, it brings into question the whole of the Gospels. If they were willing to bend the facts here, the writers, that is, were willing to do this? Where else did they bend the facts to suit their purposes? Does it not seem that the writer, does it seem that the writers bent the facts to prove a point? But rather, it seems that they are focused on revealing who Jesus was as priest, as king, and as prophet. Secondly, if Jesus really was who we say he is and who the Gospels claim him to be, 
Jesus really was the second person of the Trinity, made incarnate, come to earth, then of course he would have known the time was coming when Jerusalem would be judged and ransacked by the Romans, just as the prophets knew about the other judgments that came. Jesus knew that Jerusalem would be destroyed. These words were not some fabrication of the gospel writers, but Christ's own words. And in that, we learn that Jesus truly lamented the coming annihilation of Jerusalem. And we should join with him in lamenting, lamenting death, death of friends, of loved ones, death of relationships, and even deaths of dreams. For death, except for death, the sin is evil, and it is not a part of the created order. Earlier this week, I shared an article on our Facebook page about the subject of lament. And in it, the author notes that as he himself walked through a personal tragedy, that, he, that for him, the missing element in his grief was a familiarity with lament a heartfelt and honest talking to God through the struggles of life. My friends, I hope as we reflect upon our sin and upon our call to holiness, in this we also recognize that life can be hard. We also see that there will be death and sorrow and pain. But our call as Christians isn't to pretend that these pains don't exist but instead to walk with our beloved ones through them, to walk with Christ as our good shepherd. Our call is to walk with our brothers and sisters in Christ into the valley of death without fear of evil and there to meet our good shepherd, Jesus. We are called to both corporate and personal lament. We are called to cry out with friends as they cry, and we are called to cry out to God when life seems dark and hopeless in those moments. The author of that article suggested four steps in lament. First, turn to prayer. Do not underestimate the power of prayer. Prayer is not simply for our temporal needs. In fact, one-third of the Psalms one-third of that ancient, beautiful Hebrew prayer book is devoted to lamenting trials, troubles, heartache, and sin. Prayers of lament are a part of our life with God. And so we are invited to offer our pain to God, offer it up to Him, and trust that no matter how messy what comes out of our hearts and mouths, He hears us and cares for us. Second, the author tells us to bring our complaints to God, to tell God bluntly our questions, our fears, and our frustrations. I can assure you that God is big enough that he can take you crying out to him with these things. He can take your heartfelt questioning. And so cry out to him. Tell him, I hurt, I don't understand. Help me understand. Tell him your big questions. And he will 
hear you. Be honest with him. And third, the invite, author invites us to ask boldly. We ask again and again. We are like that widow that goes to the judge. We hope to hear his answer. And as long as we can get on our knees and pray, there is hope for comfort and healing. So keep asking him boldly and do not give up. Finally, the author tells us to choose to trust. He writes, trust and prayers of lament are not cul-de-sacs of sorrow, but conduits for the renewing of our faith. In our lament over loss, we are called to pray. Bring our complaints to God. Ask boldly and trust. Lament can be a hard and weary road. Whether we are lamenting a pain which we are personally experiencing or a tragedy which has befallen our community or country, true biblical lament is honest, it is bold. It trusts that God hears us and can redeem us through it. Lament brings healing. My dear brothers and sisters, it is no secret that we are living through a time of national turmoil. I know that it seems as though there are many, as many questions and as opinions about what is going on as there are people in our country. I know that there is pain, there's confusion, there is fear, and there is sorrow over what has been lost. And I want to take a moment to think about this in the context of lament. For this reason, one of the questions that has bothered me the most is when will we get back to normal? Let me unpack why that question troubles me so. What we lost in March was not normalcy. But we lost, we actually lost this way when Adam and Eve ate the fruit and brought death and sin into the world. Our lives as Americans before COVID-19 were not normal. There was goodness for many of us, and there was comfort. But let me challenge you to think about it with this paradigm instead. We think about it in a way that deepens our love and relationship with Christ. First, lament what has been lost. Genuinely cry out to God. Share with him your sorrow, your heartache, your frustration, and your fears. Lament. Second, look forward not to a return of that loss, but to something better, something more beautiful. Let this time be a time of closeness with Christ, where we long for his return and the kingdom of heaven to be completed, where we long for Christ's return, for freedom from sin and intimacy with God, our Father. Third, and finally, let us ask hard questions. How do we live well in this time and build a culture that focuses not on earthly hopes, but on the kingdom of heaven? How do we plant seeds that grow into strong trees that glorify God, that will not cast shadows of doubt in the centuries to come, but the eternal light? 
This morning we watched Jesus enter Jerusalem, and he is sorrowful. They had rejected him. They had rejected the man of peace and the way of peace. When we lament what was lost, whether it be the loss which we have experienced as a country or a personal loss that you are experiencing, Jesus comes to you. Jesus walks with you in your lament, through your pain, and brings us to a place of hope, a place of healing, and into those green pastures of peace. This morning, I invite you with me to learn to lament well, to learn to cry out to God in your sorrow, to hope for his healing, to put your arms around friends and family as they experience pain. My beloved friends, let our earnest prayer this week be that we would, that the Lord would teach us to love people well and to weep with them and weep with Christ. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost.